As you're being seated, please turn with me to the Lord's Prayer again, Matthew chapter 16, 6, Matthew 6, turn to Matthew 6 or you will be lost. Uh, I'll be lost too. Uh, we began our study of the Lord's Prayer a, a few weeks ago, and as we began, we noted that um, Jesus instructed us, don't use meaningless repetition. But he didn't say don't use meaningful repetition, right? There, there is such a thing as meaningful repetition. If you read the Psalms, you're going to see a lot of repetition. If you look at the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6 or in the book of Revelation, you actually see a lot of repetition, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And let, can we say that again? Holy, holy, holy. I mean, it, there, there's a lot because sometimes that repetition, if we are mindful and we are really dialed in with, with our hearts uh, and, and our intellect, that repetition is instructive and it is worshipful. And so this morning, we are going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And as we do so, we're not going to do it without our minds engaged. We're going to really think about what we're praying. So as we pray this together, I want you to think through what we've been studying. What are, what are God's priorities as we pray? What is God's character that's revealed here? How is God instructing us through this prayer? Right? So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together with our hearts and our minds fully engaged. Right? Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If we read this prayer with uh, our minds engaged... um, there's some phrases that are a little bit confusing, right? Some phrases that need to be unpacked a bit. We've been spending, uh, it's our fourth week, just on the Lord's Prayer, right? And when we get actually to the very end of the prayer itself, there's a phrase there that, that's always uh, confused me, troubled me just a little bit. He says, do not lead us into temptation. And I say, what? Time out. But, but God doesn't tempt us, right? God doesn't tempt us. Let me remind you, James chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So why does Jesus, in this, this template for prayer, right? Here, here's a model prayer. Here's how you should pray. And, and kind of every time you pray, pray this. Don't lead us into temptation, but God doesn't actually tempt us. He can't be tempted, and he won't tempt us. So what's the point of saying, Lord, don't lead us into temptation? I don't know if that's ever bothered you before, but I'm building an entire sermon off of that thing that troubles me a little bit. So let me, let me um, offer you an observation that I think helps us to understand it. In Greek, the word perosmos can be translated temptation or test or trial. Right? So there's one Greek word for temptation or for a test or a trial. So how do the translators know how to translate it as a temptation or as a test or as a trial? Or maybe more to the point in our lives, how do we know when we're in the middle of a difficult circumstance, whether it's a temptation or just a test or a trial? How do we know? Well, I'm going to argue the answer is yes, both, always. Every difficult circumstance is at the same time a temptation and a test. Always. With two different intentions. Every difficult circumstance, God intends for our good, and every difficult circumstance, Satan intends to bend it 
into temptation so that we turn away from the Lord. God intends actually all things for our good. Romans chapter 8. All things for our good. God doesn't call evil good, but he can take even the worst circumstances and he can create good from it. God always intends good in our lives, even when we're struggling, even when we're suffering, even when we're in the the deepest, darkest place, even when we're in the most difficult circumstances. God intends those circumstances to be worked out for our good, to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. On the other hand, in every difficult circumstance, and even sometimes in blessings and in good circumstance, Satan intends our harm. The thief has come only to steal, kill, destroy. So he takes what is difficult in our lives and he tries to bend it so that we will doubt God. Or he takes what is a blessing and tries to get us to idolize it and love it more than we love God. He tries to take everything in our life and use it for our destruction. So the question is, why do we need uh, the Lord's Prayer? Why do we need this prayer in particular in our lives? And I'm going to say it's because we will be tested. God will test us. I want you to turn, uh, mark your place here in Matthew 6. We'll be back there in just a second. I want you to turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 contains uh, a few verses right at the very beginning that I'm sure many of you are familiar with um, and don't uh, necessarily like or <laughs> embrace. True nevertheless, James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, uh, consider it or count it or reckon it as All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Trials from all all kinds of different circumstances. Multicolored, multifaceted, count all of them joy. They may be directly from the Lord. In Genesis chapter 22, it said, God came to Abraham to test him. God specifically led Abraham into an extremely difficult circumstance the offering of his son Isaac, in order to test him. But sometimes God just uh, allows us to stay in difficult circumstances just because we're in this broken and messed up and fallen world. And we suffer the same trials and tribulations that all the rest of the world suffers. He doesn't just pop us out of those moments. Why? Verse 3. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Why does God allow us to go through trials? Why does he test us? Because he wants to grow our faith. And faith doesn't grow unless faith is tested. F.F. Bruce once said, An untested faith is a weak faith, compared with one that has passed through a searching test and has emerged victorious. If you go into the gym, you've got to stretch to the point of failure. Right? Things, things are broken down for things to be Built up. And so God tests our faith to grow our faith. We wish that there were other ways. We say, you know, God, just give me a book on endurance. <laughs> give me a book on character. Let me read about character and get character from that. But that's just not how human character is formed. Turn back one more book to First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. Peter picks up the same theme, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice. That is the revelation of your salvation. You re- rejoice in this, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, look, I, I, it's not only that your faith 
would be grown, but also that your faith would be shown. Okay, that the demonstration or the proof of your faith, the validation of it to you and also to the world that's watching would be known. So God grows our faith, God shows our faith, but also God rewards our faith. Right? So at the revelation of his glory, your faith, which has been refined by fire, will result in praise and glory and honor. And what he's speaking out in, about in chapter 1 is praise and glory and honor that you share in as a reward. Because you passed through this fire and you leaned into the Lord. So we need this prayer because we will be tested. We need this prayer because we will be tempted. Every single circumstance that's difficult in our life, Satan is going to take it and try to bend it so that we will distrust God. If you've ever gone through the exercise of reading your Bible cover to cover, right? You start on page one and you're about five minutes in and there's the adversary. Right? I mean, you're right there in the very beginning of the story, and he is taking this wonderful blessing that God has given to Adam and Eve, this garden, and he says, eat, 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 absolutely, to your fill. Enjoy. Just don't, don't eat from that one tree. There's a test right in the middle. And Satan takes that test, and he says, really? You think God is good, and he won't give you that fruit? That's certainly the best fruit in the entire garden. He's just withholding that because he knows that you'll become powerful. You'll become like him. He sows these seeds of distrust in God in the midst of these circumstances. Satan takes absolutely every circumstance in our life, blessing or difficulty, and he tries to turn it so that we will distrust God. And you know, one of the things that's most difficult for us about all this is that God lets it happen. Job chapter 1. You know, there are lots of places in the Bible where we see God kind of uh, jumping into human history, right? He's he's moving in, he's intervening, but then there are just a few places in Scripture where he says, now let me invite you into um, my house, right? And he opens up the throne room of heaven, we get this little glimpse. Job chapter 1 is one of those places, and it's it's a crazy narrative. God invites all of the angelic hosts, right? Those who are for him and those who are against him, because what, what do they do? Well, they're watching. They're watching all the earth. And so even Satan, the chief of all of the adversarial spiritual forces, comes into the presence of God, and God says to him, what? Have you, have you seen Job? Have you considered my servant Job? This is a man who walks uprightly before me. This is a man who loves me. Satan, have you seen that man? He's, he's a prize for me. And so he says, really? Well, that's because everything goes well in his life. But if you tested him, and if you let me tempt him, he would fail. And God lets it happen. Students, you'll appreciate this. I, I had a prof um, when I was at A&M, and every time it was test day, we would walk in, and as he was handing out the tests, he would announce. I mean, this is like every time. He had this little speech he'd go into, and he said, Students, today is an opportunity for you to distinguish yourself among your peers. I'm like, looking at each other like, or fail. I mean, yeah, really? Ah, would, how about if you just gave me an A and I didn't even have to fill anything out? Have you considered my servant, Job? Why does God do that? Well, he did it in Job's day and Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians that that's still what God is doing. Chapter three, the unfathomable riches of Christ have been given to us. Why? 
So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to whom? To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. God is saying, have you considered my church? Have you considered my church? Look at my church. This is what it looks like when men and women lean into me and they love me even when they're they're struggling, even when they're suffering, even when they're going through trials and tribulations, even when you tempt them. Have you considered my, my church? Have you considered Sean? Have you considered Lance and Rhonda? Have you considered Pavlos? Have, have you considered my church? Look at them. Look at how strong and powerful they are in me even though they're weak. And he's holding us up in front of the, in front of the watching angelic forces Say, this is what it looks like when a man or a woman follows me and gives all of their lives to me. You know, this is exactly what he did with Jesus. He doesn't ask us to go through anything that he didn't bring Jesus through. Remember, Jesus was, uh, we're told in Matthew 4, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we say to ourselves, why? I mean, if he's God in human flesh, why why did Jesus need to go through that process at all? Ever wondered that? I, I'm sure that I don't know all of the answers, but let me give you a couple. Uh, one, we're told that uh, Jesus uh, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Right? On the cross, but also in the wilderness, and as he walked and got hungry and tired and thirsty, right, he learned obedience. I don't understand all that, but Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. In his humanity, Jesus grew. He, he developed character. And how is character developed? It's developed through trial and temptation and suffering, and that's, that's how it's grown. So Jesus learned. But I think there's another reason. And that is this, because Jesus serves as a model for us, a genuine model for how to overcome temptation. Because when Jesus was tempted, he didn't uh, pull out all of his uh, deity, right? He didn't pull out the, the, the deity gun and start blazing away, right? The first temptation comes, and he's really hungry, and Satan says, make the stones into bread, and he didn't. He didn't. What did he do? He just quoted scripture. <laughs> he didn't use a single resource that you and I don't have. And so it's a genuine model. We can say, okay, that's, that's what it looks like to walk fully dependent. And Jesus, I promise you, was being watched by all of the angelic realm. And the Father could look down and say, this is what I intended for men and women. Okay, this is what I intended. And this is what I will produce in men and women. When they lean completely into me in the midst of trial and tribulation in the midst of blessing they've given all of life to me so let me uh, retranslate this portion of the prayer for you and tell you what I think is going on here this is what Jesus is praying lead us not at temptations testing, trials, difficult circumstances God if it's all the same to you I'd rather not suffer today I think that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus said when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let me just, let me just be, be real with you, Father. I would rather, I'd rather not have the cup, which is physical suffering and separation from you. That's, that is, I don't want that. Lead me not into the place of the cross. But if you do, deliver us from the intentions of the evil one. But if you must, for, for all of your purposes to be accomplished in my life, then your will be done. Father, if it's all the same to you, I really would rather not suffer today. But if that's a part of your plan and your will for you to cause that or for you to allow that, then please rescue me from the, from the intentions of the evil one and take that circumstance and create good in my life and don't let the adversary harm me. So why do we need this particular prayer? I'm going to give you three reasons. First, 
Prayer aligns us with the will of God. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Okay, prayer, any prayer, especially this prayer, aligns us with the will of God. Verse 9, pray then like this. Pray then in this way. He's just finished saying, don't pray like this. Because there's ineffective prayer and there's effective prayer. There's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. He says, here's the right way to pray. Pray in such a way that you align yourself with the will of God. Start with who God is. Are you really praying to God as he actually is? Because he's a, he's a perfect heavenly father. He loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. He protects you. He, 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 gives, he gives himself for you. He also holds you accountable because he loves you so much. He doesn't want to let you drift off into sin. He is a good, good, good father. And he's separate. He's distinct. Father, hallowed be your name. We align ourselves with who God is and then with God's will, which is may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, start right here with me and I I bend the knee before you and I consecrate myself to you and I pray that all of the earth would be consecrated to you. I pray that there would be no resistance whatsoever. And so we said this is a prayer of personal consecration, but it's also a great commission prayer. Father, accomplish your will on the earth. And as you do that, Father, uh, I will have needs. And so it's right for us to tap into the heart of the Father and say, Father, we have needs for daily bread. Ask him because he loves to give. Oh, and Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our other, others their debts. Father, let there be nothing between you and me and let there be nothing between me and, and other people. Let Satan not have a foothold in my life. Why? Because I know that warfare is part of your plan. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why? Because this is part of God's plan. This is part of God's will. Warfare is the will of God for us, church. It, it, this is it. John tells us the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we say, well, God, then why don't you just take us out? <laughs> we don't want any of that. Why does he leave us here? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I'm going to leave my church in place so that they can do battle against the adversary. So that the angelic realm and the rest of the world that doesn't know me yet will look in and they will watch and they will learn. Say, so this is how life is supposed to be lived. I'm not going to rescue them from all the trials and tribulations and temptations that everyone on the face of a broken planet has to suffer. Instead, I'm going to empower them to live through it. So when we pray properly, we are praying, thy will be done. So first, prayer aligns us with the will of God. Second, prayer awakens us to the battle. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew writes, Then Jesus came with them, that is the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him... Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And he said to these three friends, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, 
So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying so that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time again and he prayed saying, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and he found them sleepy for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and he went away and he prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. If you could take this cup from me, take it, but not my will, but yours be done. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus tells them to do two things. He says, watch and pray. But watching is part of praying. The word is literally, it's it's stay alert. You are entering into some spiritual realities and you need to be prepared for this moment of testing. Are you awake? Are you alert? And they were not awake. What did they do? They, they, They just lay down and fell asleep. And so what happened? They failed. They failed. The hour of testing came. They had a moment that they could align themselves with Jesus and say, yes, we still believe he's the Messiah. He's our one. And they could stay loyal to him. And instead, what did they do? Every single one of them ran away. Why? Because they weren't ready. They weren't prepared. They didn't stay awake. I read a story a few years ago. First-hand account, there was a pastor who was sitting on an airplane. And he uh, saw that the gentleman next to him pulled out some note cards and began to just kind of mouth some words. And he introduced himself and, you know, um, they began to chat a little bit, told one another's name. He said, I, I noticed you flipping through those cards. Were, by any sense, were you praying? He said, yeah. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm praying. He said, really? Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I believe in, in prayer as well. What were you praying for? And he said, well, I, I was praying for the downfall of spiritual leaders. I said, well, am I on your list? May I respond? No, you're not on my list. There are spiritual realities in this world. And if you don't believe it, you've lost already. Or if you say to yourself, you know, I love the world. Well, you know, Satan probably will leave you alone largely. Or if you just say to yourself, you know, I just, I'm, I'm going to be a good person, but I'm not really going to engage in this Warfare. I'm not going to make it the purpose of my life to make disciples of all nations. Then, you know, Satan's going to go, good is fine. I can live with good. Or if you say, you know, I'm really just weary. I'm tired of this battle. I just want peace. I just want peace. And you say, well, let me find peace. I'll just give in. If you give in, you don't find peace. You become a prisoner of war. A really close friend who was just struggling with sexual issues and addictions and different things. And he said, you know, I just, I got so tired. He told me, he said, I'm just, I'm going to give in. I just need peace. And you know what happened? He became a slave. He became a slave. If you're in the midst of battle, the only freedom you have is if you conquer the enemy. And you crush him. This prayer reminds us. It awakens us. It prepares us. Stay awake. Right? What does he say? Watch with me. And pray, what were they watching for? Were they watching for attack? Be prepared, expect attack. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, We will not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Is that true of you? Are you do, you actually, do you know his designs? He has designs for you. 
Uh, I'm not sure if you've paid attention to that before, but um, Paul says put on the whole armor of God so that you can withstand the assault of the enemy. He has designs. He has schemes. He has plans. Uh, he watches human nature. He knows these things. And are you ready for that attack? Are you ready? You know, for three years, uh, my son and I, we took Taekwondo. We practiced fighting for three years. It was awesome. <laughs> I loved it. Uh, we were in a, there's father, son, and mother, daughter. There were different adults in, in this class with us and other kids and stuff. Um, the best part of the class uh, overall was fighting. It was really, it was really you know, if you know my personality at all, you're like, oh, sure, that makes sense. I, I love the sparring part. And, uh, you know, it's not like I wasn't, if you guys were old Seinfeld fans, it wasn't like Kramer, right, kicking little kids in the head. We, we, the adults would spar uh, with one another. And I actually had a couple buddies who were in this class who were, you know, about my size and pretty athletic guys. And so, you know, when it was sparring time, man, we would get after it, right? Our, our teacher would say, you guys calm down, right? Because the kids would go, oh, my gosh, you know, are they mad at each other? No, we're having fun. We're just kicking each other, trying to hurt each other. But it was fun. It was great. Uh, I had a friend actually who joined. He, he joined. He said, yeah, the reason I'm joining is because I've always wanted to kick a pastor in the head. So one day, uh, there, this, this college guy joined our class, and um, he was really good, right? Like, he was about three belts above me. He wasn't as tall as me, but he was way faster, and he had trained longer, and his hands and his feet, everything was quicker. I mean, he was really, really good. And so I remember the first time they said, all right, pair up to spar, and, I, and you know, I'm, I'm crossing, going across this guy, and, I, and she said, all right, fight. And I don't, I mean, I heard the t on fight. That's, I heard that. And then, and then he goes, and he has this back, spinning back kick and goes, bam, and just kicked me in the head. I'm like, wow. What, you know, so the rest of the time I'm fighting him like this. I'm like, you know, stay away, stay away. But I thought, that's not going to ever happen again. Right? That's not going to happen again. Because when I was a kid, my dad used to say this to me. He said, son, you need to realize age and treachery will always overcome youth and skill. Okay, you can write that down. Age and treachery will always overcome youth and skill, right? So I, I, did, I made sure that I didn't fight him for a while. Instead, I watched him fight. And I watched him fight. And I learned that that was his favorite move, that spinning back. Because it looked really cool. And man, he, you know, he'd get his leg way up. And he'd just tag people all the time. But I learned that he would, when he did that, he would always, he'd move his foot right here. He would just set his foot just a little bit like that so he could get complete rotation. So he'd just go like that. So I watched for a while. I watched and watched. And it came around time again. And we're pairing up. I said, let's go. Age and treachery. <laughs> right? So we're going like this. And I'm watching him. And I just, I leaned in like this. Like I just kind of gave him my head. as a target. Just kind of dared him. I just can't lean in. And sure enough, he moved that foot. And as soon as he did, I just stepped back and I loaded up one leg, right? So I, I leaned him, I stepped back and he came around. And as he's coming around, I stepped back, his foot missed. The problem was he, he lost his footing. And he, he, as he came, he, he started to fall down right as I unleashed. And I, I came up with a front kick and I just went, bam! And I kicked him, we had face masks, but I kicked him straight in the face mask. Face mask jammed into his nose and his nose started bleeding and it was bloody, right? And he's, just, he's laying there and I felt really bad for like five seconds. And it's kind of like, put my foot on his neck. I did not really, but you know, it was, oh, it's really, it's really tempting. Like, yeah. You know, and the next time he sparred me too, he, he was a little bit like, that. that's right. 
Oh, man. That's what God wants you to do to Satan. Kick him in the face and bust his nose and let it bleed all over the place. And let all the angelic hosts watch and go, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Put your foot on his neck. Jesus will do that to Satan one day. And he loves it when you do the same right now. Right? He loves that. He loves it. Church, that's why we're here. But Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to come after you. And Paul says, hey, that's not going to happen to us. We will not be outwitted by his schemes. So church, let's just take a moment and remember, what are his schemes? He has three. First, he lies. He's a deceiver. It's all that he can do. Paul says he's the father of lies. He's the one who invented this whole concept of lying, deceiving. Sometimes he just bends the truth just a little bit. That's why cults are so powerful. They inject a bit of truth and then a bit of lie. And they deceive. They trick. This is what he does. Right? So he disguises himself as an angel of light. He comes in looking so good. right? And he loves it that the world paints him with a tail and horns. They go, oh, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as a devil. We can even dress our kids up as a devil on Halloween. Who cares? Right? He deceives. He lies. And that gets embedded in us, that pattern. And we believe lies. And then we tell lies. And it's the truth that sets us free. But when our kids are little, I don't remember which kid this was, but um, we were at my parents' house, and my mom called one of our kids and said, hey, I need some help. Right? And this particular kid uh, didn't want to come help at that moment in time. So this child said, can't come right now, Grandma. I'm reading my Bible. <laughs> uh, no, not reading the Bible. But, you know, I, what are you going to say to that? Right? Just mm, bend it. So do you know the lies that he says to you? You cannot defend yourself against a liar unless you know the truth. Satan deceives. Satan divides. Right? Satan divides. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus inserts here in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. Because if we don't ask forgiveness from the Lord, there's not confession, then Satan gets a little foothold in our life. Because we're living in deceit. Or if we're unwilling to forgive others and a little bitterness grows up within us, there's a little deceit and he gets this foothold and he can begin to divide us in a relationship with God, divide us in a relationship with others. So it's unforgiveness or it's pride. I don't, I don't know that I really, I'm, I'm good. I don't need you meddling in my life. I don't need you asking me difficult questions. I, I can manage my world on my own. And you know what? You will fail. You'll be destroyed. The body of Christ is strong and powerful and beautiful before the watching world when the body of Christ comes together. We need one another. And so what does Satan try to do? Well, he tries to divide us, separate you from fellowship. I've told you this statistic before, but students, it's, it's really worth noting. When students graduate from college, they move to a new city. If they don't find uh, fellowship, I mean genuine fellowship within the first six weeks, within a couple of years, they're not walking with the Lord, like 80% of them. Right? So there's just this, statistically, there's just this window. You have to dive in and dive in quickly. Uh, you may be a freshman here, and you've been searching for a church for the entire you know, six, seven months that you've been here. I'd say, man, now, now's the time to land. Find a church. Find a small group of friends. Get plugged into accountability in the body of Christ. Genuine fellowship. Because Satan will destroy your life by pulling you away from that. Third, he exploits Right? The enemy exploits. He watches. He's been uh, watching billions of people for thousands of years. And, you know, we, we like to think that we're 
like super unique, but we're only kind of a little unique. <laughs> to uh, say to my kids, well, we're all unique in exactly the same way. Right? There, there are patterns of human behavior, and he watches all of those patterns, and he or his forces, they watch you, and they observe you. Do you know where your weaknesses are? Do you know those times and places and thoughts and ideas where you're particularly vulnerable to temptation? He does. And he will do everything he can to exploit those things, right? Do you battle with uh, addiction to alcohol? Do well, don't, don't tend bar. Be wise. Do you battle with lust? Well, get rid of your smartphone. Get a flip phone. <gasps> really? Yeah. No, seriously. Like, do something crazy. Get rid of it. <laughs> or no phone at all. A landline. <laughs> Not much you can search on a landline. You know, do you battle with comparison and jealousy get get off facebook just shut your account down you're still a human right you still actually are a valuable person if everybody doesn't see you know all of your best days and none of your bad days it's okay right where where do you battle where do you struggle he's watching he's observing and he's going to try to exploit all of those things he lies he divides he exploits and really if i can get at the heart of the matter it's this heart of the matter is this um we will be tested which means we will be tempted. We will have circumstances that are difficult. And if we are clinging to our own will, we will be destroyed. Right? You can't say, my will be done, and experience the power of God's Spirit in your life. Does that make sense? Right? You, you can't at the same time say, God, I want to experience your power in overcoming temptation and an enduring trial and seeing character develop, and I want my will. You, you, can't, you can't grasp both of those things at the same time. Listen to how James puts it. James chapter 4. It says, He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice the progression, right? He gives greater grace. Grace means unconditional acceptance by God. Right? It's the heart of the gospel message. We believe in God gives us life. We don't, we don't do anything other than receive this free gift, right? That, that's because God grants his favor upon us. But as believers, we continually live in that grace, which is his empowerment. It's his favor to live a, a life that's transformed. And he wants to give that to us continuously, but he can't give it to the proud. He gives it to the humble. So the humble say, not my will, but yours be done. So James says, Submit, therefore, to God. What does that mean? Not my will, but yours be done. I submit to the will of God, and then I say no to the devil, and he has to run. He has to. He he can't get any foothold of power in my life when I am fully submitted to the will of God because the difficult circumstance comes, and I embrace it. I can count it all joy. I don't have to like it, but I can love what God is going to do through it because I can see it as a gift from God because I've submitted my will to the Lord. But if I'm saying, no, my will be done, then Satan can come in and he can crush me. He can take advantage of me. And so that's really the gist of this prayer, in a sense. Not my will, but your will be done. Then I know spiritual power. So, if Satan's uh, methodology is to uh, lie to me and to divide me from fellowship and to deceive me and exploit my weaknesses, 
then I need to know truth and I need to know myself and I need to be plugged in to the fellowship of the body, right? There are, in fact, and I'm just going to move through these really quickly, there are three resources that prayer unleashes. The first is the Spirit of God. The second is the people of God. And then the Word of God. When I begin to pray, I enter into this conversation that God is already having about me. Romans chapter 8. The Spirit is groaning. Groanings that are too deep for words, because I don't really even know how I should pray. But I do know that Jesus is interceding for me. He's speaking to the Father on, on my behalf. And the Spirit is also entering that conversation. He's groaning. And, and when I enter into prayer, what's happening? Well, I'm actually entering into this Father-Son-Spirit conversation about me. God is talking about you amongst himself right now in this very moment because he wants what's best for you. And when you pray, you enter into the conversation. Prayer unleashes the people of God. We're told in Acts chapter 2 that they gathered together for uh, the apostles' teaching, for the breaking of bread, for fellowship, and for prayer. All right, what are they doing? They're getting deeply into the Word together and letting the Word guide their prayer. It's informing them, it's instructing them, and it's guiding them. What is genuine fellowship? It's not a potluck. Genuine fellowship is we're in one another's lives. I had a friend who moved out of town a few years ago, and when he moved, he knew he was going to a city where he would be at least for a while completely isolated. He didn't have any close friends at that time. And so we set up, we put on our calendar every other week, we're going to get on the phone and we're going to talk. And so, we, you know, we did. We had an appointment. We'd get on the phone and we would talk. And we had significant conversation because uh, we didn't see one another very often. And this was just our moment. And so we talked about what was really going on in our lives. And we never hung up the phone without praying for one another. And even to this day, we talk now. We don't even have to schedule it now. It happens all the time. Just consistently. And, and we, we've never hung up without saying, hey, can I pray for you? Which means right now. That means right now. Right? Remember, remember how the start, prayer starts? It says, our Father, give us, lead us. This is actually, a, a, it is a communal prayer. Now, we, we aren't, we're not to pray for show like, like the hypocrites, and most of our prayer may happen personally, but this is also a communal prayer. This is us praying for one another, us seeking the best for one another, us praying for boldness as Paul asked for boldness in his life. Why? Because we need that. Right? And, and genuine fellowship brings us together for prayer. Prayer also opens up the power of the Word of God. When Jesus was led into the wilderness, what was he doing in the wilderness for 40 days? Was he... Uh, just sitting around, <laughs> waiting for temptation to come. No. He did the same thing he did always when he went to the wilderness. He prayed. He's in conversation with the Father. He's speaking to the Father. He's, the Father's speaking back to him. They're, they're in this conversation. He's, he's meditating on the, the written word. We know that because when the trial comes, he does what's natural, which is, again, he just quotes Scripture. And what Scripture does he quote? You should know this. In the wilderness, Jesus quotes from one of your favorite books of the Bible. Deuteronomy, <laughs> right? Where would you go in the midst of spiritual warfare? De- Deuteronomy. He goes to Deuteronomy. He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 8, which actually is a retelling of Israel's journey in the wilderness. It says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, I took your fathers and your mothers, I took your, your whole generation before you into the wilderness to test them. And I let them be hungry. So that they would learn the man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So God took Israel into the wilderness to test them, and there's no food, and they're hungry. And what did they do? Did they go, oh, that will be done? No, they went, 
our will be done. Take us back to Egypt where we had lots of food and there were leeks and onions and we had, a, we had a river passing through and we could get fish. And they failed. Right? They failed. And so God took Jesus into the wilderness. He took him on that same journey. And as he went into that same journey, and he was hungry, and he was hungrier than the Israelites ever were. And Satan tries to hit him at this point of vulnerability. Forty days without eating. Let's start here. Make the stones into bread. You made bread before. You are the manna in the wilderness, after all. And Jesus says, no, I, I think I'd rather have the will of God than a full belly. And he succeeds, right, right. He kicks Satan in the face. He's bloody and bleeding. It's like a foretaste of that moment when he fully and finally destroys our enemy and provides for us now this moment, this example, where we say, okay, that's what a life looks like when it is lived fully consecrated to the will of God. Now, as we close, we are going to celebrate communion together. Uh, If I can't ask the the servers to go back, uh, you know that communion, it's a reminder, right? The, The bread reminds us of the body of Christ given, the cup reminds us of his blood poured out, right? So it reminds us of what Jesus did for us, but it also reminds us of what a life looks like fully consecrated to the Father. Because Jesus, he, he intentionally went to the cross, right? He prepared himself ahead of time, but then he intentionally went. He didn't back off. He said, Father, I really would rather not do a cross, but not my will, but yours be done. And so what I'd like for us to do Uh, As we're being served, let's just take a few moments quietly before the Lord and give him thanks for giving us Jesus and giving us life in him. But also, let's take a moment to consecrate ourselves. Say, Father, teach me to follow that example of Jesus and give everything to you. Let's just take a few moments silently before the Lord, uh, and then I'll lead us when all of us have been served. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Let's take the bread together. And then in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you for uh, giving all. Thank you uh, for sacrificing completely so that we could have life, we could have our debt of sin removed forever and not live in fear. Thank you for the example that you've given us how to live a life fully consecrated Teach us, Father, to follow that example of Jesus. Father, we, we take this moment to uh, bow before you again, give our lives to you. Uh, we declare that uh, we choose to trust you, Father, even in the midst of circumstances that are difficult and, and testing and trying and tempting and confusing. But we know our, our strength is in you, our power is in you, and we trust you that you, you are good. You're Heavenly Father, and you care for all of our needs. You care for the flowers of the field and the birds that fall from the sky. You care so much more deeply for us. I pray, Father, that you'd grow our trust and our confidence in you. I pray, Father, that you'd uh, destroy within us those passions and longings and lusts for the things of the world that, that, don't, that don't, simply don't last. And teach us, Father, to follow the example of Jesus saying, uh, thy will be done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Uh, Have a great week. See you next week.